If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. First of all, did I miss you? And is it great to be back uh, with the family here at Orangewood? Uh, thank you for the three of you that clapped. I miss you too. That was awesome. Do you know that last week I worshipped a week ago today in Bethlehem? I mean, how cool is that? It was uh, a, a, in Palestine, obviously, in Arabic. In uh, the 11 days that we were gone, we worshiped with congregations that were Russian-speaking, Hebrew-speaking, and Arabic-speaking, all lovers of Jesus. And I have such great news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is alive and well in the state of Israel. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ in Palestine and in Israel who are lovers of our great God. I'd love to tell you more about it. This isn't the time. But two weeks from today, we're going to have a joint equipping center class. That's a fancy name for Sunday school. Uh, in our fellowship hall, I have uh, some slides I'm going to show you. Uh, I'd love to tell you stories of all that God did in our heart, transformation, um, and get excited. Maybe uh, more of us can go back and see what God is doing. So in two weeks... Uh, would love to have you in a uh, fellowship hall about 9.15 at that time on a Sunday morning. So come and hear what God is doing. I need to pray. I haven't been here in three weeks. Um, I'm so excited. I'm so nervous. And so, uh, as always, uh, before opening God's Word, He's got something for us. I know it. And I get to this point, I'm like, Lord, you know who I am. You know my limits. Uh, you know uh, all the things I don't have. But what we need is Jesus. What we need to know is you to speak clearly. We need to understand your words. So let's pray and ask him to do what only he can do um, to speak to us, okay? So let's join our hearts in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we're here because you love us and because you have a plan for us before you created anything. Father, when we wonder, do you really care and do you really love us, we ask that you would lift our eyes upon Jesus and then we know, wow. You do love us. You love us so much that Jesus would come and that the Son of God would become the Son of Man. That He would take on flesh and He would battle our enemies, the enemies of sin and death. And He would gain victory, not just for you, God, but for all your family. And so do you love us? We know it. We look at a Roman cross. We see an empty tomb. And we know that because of that love of Jesus and that work of Jesus, that we're yours and we're free. Do you love us? Well, you didn't leave us here as orphans when Jesus went to be at your right side, now living to intercede for us. Jesus, you sent us the Holy Spirit to empower us. So Holy Spirit, here we are. And you say we're two or more gathered that you're here with us. So that we ask that you in a, in a supernatural, in a divine way, would come and be with us so that you are teacher. So that, Jesus, it's your words we hear. It's, it's your plan that we wrestle with. That, that God, I would diminish and, and Jesus would be all that we could hear or see. Father, open our ears to hear from you. Oh, God, I pray that the Spirit of the living God would shine into our minds that are dark and filled with unbelief. That we could understand your word. It's so important. We know that it leads us to you, Jesus. God, we pray that your Spirit would touch our hearts. That the hearts of unbelief, the hearts of sin, the stony hearts that we often have, God, that you would lovingly break them today and give us a heart of faith, a heart of clay. Father, we ask that this isn't just a spiritual exercise that we checked the box and said, yeah, we went to God's house, now on with our lives. But we ask that you would 
cause us to walk in obedience as your children as we leave here. That God, we'd leave here because we met with you more like Jesus. That God, you'd be so present that just the aroma of Christ would be on us and in us and through us. And as we live our lives this week, others will say, you've been with Jesus. God, would you give us that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. My name, Jeffrey, call me Jeff, Peter Jakes. And I've really grown to love my middle name, Peter. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled with that name for many reasons, a little bit of a family connection. But what I really love about Peter is that connection to the Apostle Peter. Because when I read through Scripture and I hear the story of Peter, I can relate to him in so many ways. A lot of, a lot of dissimilarities. But when you think of Peter, if you know anything about Peter and the story of Peter in the Bible, Peter is a passionate lover and follower of Jesus. And oh, how I long to be the same. And I think by God's grace, He has given me an amazing love for Jesus. And oh, how I long to be a follower of Christ. But Peter also is quick to speak, and he's always seemingly slow to think. I can relate to that. Peter has this syndrome of open mouth, insert foot, many, many, many times. Peter also, Peter, Peter just thinks too highly of himself. I mean, Peter thinks too highly of his faith. Peter thinks too highly of his gifts. Uh, he, sometimes you read Peter and you think, Peter, did you forget? Did you forget you have a tendency to put your foot in your mouth? Peter, Peter in Scripture has some of the most unbelievable gaffes. In Scripture, Peter has some of the most unbelievable words of denial. Peter in Scripture is so real. I can relate because I've had so many unbelievable gaffes. And oftentimes in my life when you should stand for Jesus and boldly proclaim that yes, I believe, I fade away and I'm afraid. And I live my life like a denier. So I relate to Peter. I relate to him. I could say, yeah, there's so much about him. Just not just a name, but maybe some character issues. Maybe some character flaws. Well, we're going to spend three weeks looking at Peter. Uh, the entire, the rest of the month of May, we're going to look at Peter. And listen, and we could spend forever looking at this guy. We're just going to do it in three weeks. And what we're going to do is this. We're going to look at some of the high watermarks. Every week we're going to look at a triumph and a tragedy of Peter. And it's my hope and prayer at the end of this that we just don't know more about Peter. Because really, who cares? At the end of this, what we really need to, need, need to know more about is Jesus. And how Jesus uses the Peters in our life or uses you and me and loves us despite ourselves. And so we're going to look at Peter's life as a springboard into our own lives. And I'm so excited about Peter because Peter's safe. If you're here today and you're bringing a little bit of garbage, if you're here today and if, if the rest of the world knew your thought life or knew your private life and you're a little bit nervous, let me tell you something. Peter's for us because Peter's got a lot of dirt under his fingernails too. And it's an amazing way to see Jesus love this Peter. Well, I planned this before I left. And really, in God's amazing sovereignty and beauty, many of the places that we're going to go talk about in God's Word, 
I've now been. How cool is that? And so God took a black and white story and made it vivid color. And I hope and pray that he'll do the same for you these next three weeks. We're going to see a couple pictures. I'm going to say, hey, this is where this happened. Let me show you where it happened and and what was going on there. But my hope and prayer is that all of us can see this in vivid color. We have two points today. They're in your bulletin if you want to follow along. They're basically this. The triumph of knowing the Son of God and the tragedy of missing the plan of God. May God richly bless the reading and the preaching of his word. I'm going to break up the reading of his word in the first uh, two points. The first thing is this, my trip to Israel uh, included a a trip to Caesarea Philippi. And I'm so glad I went to Caesarea Philippi, probably a place that most of us maybe heard or didn't hear. Uh, It's way north of of Jerusalem. It's north of the Sea of Galilee. And really, it's at Caesarea Philippi. If you're reading through the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, you're going to realize that it's here that the entire Gospel turns. It's a turning point, really in all of God's word, right here in a pagan place called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, It's a place that is surprising that Jesus brought his disciples to go to. As a matter of fact, what overwhelmed me about being there was the journey there. What What the disciples talked about is they actually walked there. Let me show you a few pictures of Caesarea Philippi. It's a famous place because it was a place of pagan worship. You see right there, there's a, there's a cut in the rock there. Uh, underneath, there's a cave, a grotto. Uh, there's where they offered sacrifice. They offered sacrifice to a pagan god by the name of Pan. Now, Pan is a god that we probably as Christians think of when we think of Satan. Because he looked in the drawings and those who believed in Pan like a modern day Satan, if you will. He, he's half man and half goat. Okay, so the people who there like to worship half men, half goats, uh, they were there. This was a, a big pagan place of worship. There were other shrines to other gods. But again, if you think of this, uh, this god, uh, he had ears like a goat. He had horns and a tail. You can see where the Christian church would see, well, this, this is kind of like Satan. And it was right here where they would offer sacrifice to Pan. Um, Pan, by the way, could mean all, the God of all. I think it's more of the Greek word for pasture. Uh, Pan is the God of the pasture. He also had some musical abilities, a lot of sexual perversion with Pan. An interesting word that came out of Pan, they say those who are in the woods and all of a sudden panic, all of a sudden are overwhelmed with fear, the God Pan caused you to panic. Well, this became, Caesarea Philippi became a place, Caesarea Philippi became a place of really pagan worship. I mean, this is a place that Jesus drags his young Jewish disciples up there. They're not supposed to go to this place. I mean, this is like taking them to Vegas. I mean, this is like taking them to really the, the, the sin city of all sin cities. This is a place when if you grew up in a Jewish tradition, you say, don't go up there. There's some really, really nasty things. There's pagan worship. There, there, there's some things that they're doing with the animals there that, that you, we, we should, it's an abhorrence. Matter of fact, they're, they're offering sacrifices there. It, it's, it's really bad. And yet, Jesus takes his disciples 
there. You can see a little bit more looking into uh, that grotto where they'd be sacrificed. They'd sacrifice them there, and down below there were some streams of water. And they would wait to see if the blood appeared in the stream to see if the god Pan accepted their sacrifice or not. Let me show you a picture of what it might have looked like in Jesus' day. Herod had built a shrine there. There's some other shrines around um, to um, worship. But I know it's a distant picture. But here's the sanctuary of Pan and the other ones. You can see that Herod had built um, some temples there. So that's the background you have as we turn now to God's Word in, in Matthew 16. It's here where we hear the turning point of the Gospel. Let's read together God's Word. I'm going to read Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Now when Jesus came uh, into the district of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, uh, He asked His disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? It's interesting. Uh, again, when I got up there, what really blew me away more than anything maybe was Man, it took us like 30 some odd minutes from the Sea of Galilee to drive this way and it's all uphill. And what I couldn't stop thinking about was what did Jesus and the disciples talk about the whole way? What, what, what was the conversation like? And where are we going again? And, and why are we going here? And if you read the Gospel of Mark, you realize that this discussion took place on the journey as well. So it's my belief that the Gospels tell us this, that the whole way Jesus is teaching his disciples who he really is. The whole way there's a conversation about who am I and who do the people say I am. And he gets to this point of pagan worship. He gets to this place that sometimes is so awful. You know what it's called? It's called the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. And now he says this. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. If, if you've read your Bible, you know that Herod, when, when Jesus was brought to him, he heard about Jesus. He thought, I know I lopped off John the Baptist's head. Has he come back to life? So in Jesus' day, there were those who thought, maybe this is John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. If you remember when Jesus was crucified, those around him said, let's see if the spirit of Elijah comes. That was confusing. Others say Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, he turned to them, he said, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, he replied, You are the Christ. Not a last name, a title. The Anointed One, the Messiah, the one that was promised to come, the prophet who's greater than Moses. Uh, the priest who's greater than Aaron, the king who is greater than David, the one who would come and rescue God's people, the one that was promised in Genesis 3.15 throughout the entire Old Testament, the one that we long for, Jesus, you are the Christ. He continues to hit it completely out of the park. Even more, he says this, the Son of the living God. Interesting here, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, who's the Son of Man? Certainly referring back to Daniel 7, a term he loved to categorize himself. And in the response of Peter, we see that this Jesus is both fully man and fully God. In this amazing response, we see that Jesus is the one that was promised. And Peter, in an amazing response, says, you're it. 
You're the Christ. You're it. And just picture him standing as they're sacrificing to the false gods. Picture him as he's standing there and others are worshiping pagan deities. And he stands up and says, no, you, you alone are Messiah, Christ. You, you alone are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, kind of a term of endearment, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And guess what? The gates of hell. There they were. Guess where they were? At the gates of hell. What was known in that that, that, that dividing part of that rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We know the reality of the gates of hell were more than just that spot. But to put it in the proper context, you have Peter and the disciples in that pagan place being told that the gates of hell will not prevail about the good news of Christ. So the first thing is this. The triumph of knowing the Son of God. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, Jesus says in the response to Peter, who says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, there's some things that we need to know about that. First of all, those of us by God's grace, and it's all by God's grace, that in a minute, who can able to say Jesus is God's eternal Son, Jesus is the Savior, that those who are able to be here today, On Mother's Day, May 9th, 2010, if you know Jesus as Messiah, this is what God the Father thinks about you. You are blessed. Blessed. Why? Because the curse of sin is gone. Why? Because if Jesus is the Son of God and you're Messiah, He's cleansed you from your sins. If you've been robed in His righteousness, you are a new creation You've been adopted into the family. You who were once far off. You and me who were filled with darkness have now been forgiven. Filled with the light of Christ. We're blessed. Do you feel it this morning? Let me tell you, sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't. But the reality in God's eyes, if we know who Jesus is, God calls us blessed. But before we get the big head, Before we say, man, I'm blessed, I know who Jesus is, Jesus makes it very clear to Peter, makes it very clear throughout Scripture, and makes it very clear to us today, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you didn't come up with it on your own. The only ones who come to the Father are those whom the Father draws to Himself. The only ones who get the mystery of who Jesus is are those whom God has set a love on before time began. It's a mystery. But people like us who were born and dead in our trespasses and sins aren't smart enough to solve the equation of Jesus. And so if you are a lover of Jesus, if you know Him as Lord and Savior, really what we need to do is fall on our knees and say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because I was once so lost, I would never be found apart from God's grace. The only ones who were able to say Jesus is Lord are those whom the Father, through the power of the Spirit, gives us the ability to see Jesus as Lord. So, Scripture reminds us, yes, we're blessed, but man, do we owe it all to Him. 
We can't walk around with a big head saying, I get it, you don't. I know who Jesus is, you don't. We've got to live our lives humbly saying, God, reveal yourself to all of your children. And thank you, thank you, Jesus, that I know who you are because you have loved me first. The knowledge of Jesus is foundational. He says, I'm going to build my entire church. The church of Jesus Christ is not going to be just built on Peter. This is where a tradition goes wrong, saying it's Peter alone who's primary. No, Jesus is always primary. Jesus is the rock. And what is he building his church on? The profession of faith that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he is Lord. If we build our life upon anything other than Jesus, it's shifting sand. You can accumulate all the world has to offer. You can rise to fame in this world. But according to Scripture, apart from a living relationship with Jesus Christ, it's all shifting sand. The only thing that is foundational in this life is to be known and loved by the God who is. And by God's grace, being able to say, yes, Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. He's Lord and he's Lord of my life. And that is foundational. And by God's grace, may that always be true of this church. We got nothing but Jesus. And with Jesus, we got everything. And may we build every ministry, every life, every family upon the solid rock of Christ alone. And the knowledge of Jesus is powerful. It says this, the gates of hell will not prevail. I remember uh, having the privilege of going my brother-in-law, Orangewood member, Matt Weathersby, to some SWAT raids. Uh, and to see a SWAT show up at your door, by the way, it's not a really pleasant sight. Um, they don't knock really uh, uh, very quietly, and they don't wait for you to answer the door. Um, if your house has been given, uh, heaven forbid, a warrant to be searched, um, and there's reason to believe there's danger there, deputies will show up and they'll bring with them a ramrod and they are going to knock the absolute door off the hinges. It's going to be one wrap and blow it off the hinges and they're going to run in and secure what they got to secure. And that piece alone helped me understand a little bit more of what it means about the gospel of Jesus Christ blowing off the hinges, the gates of hell. Do you know how long I lived my life thinking that was defensive? You know, I thought it was, okay, this is great. I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And hell will not touch me. Oh, I know that that's true for you and me. That he who is in us is greater than the world. That Jesus loses none of his children. But the reality is this. Church of Jesus Christ, Orangewood. We have good news. That Jesus is the Son of the living God. We have good news. That he is the rock in which we need to believe, uh, build our lives on. We have good news. We've been go, told to go into the entire world and tell others about Jesus. And you ready for this? The gates of hell won't stand up to the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ wins. And the message of Christ Jesus continues. Who do you say Jesus is in your life? The truth is, all of us will have to answer that question one day. The day is coming. Make it today if you don't know it. Who do you say Jesus is? I tell you, being in Jerusalem, you realize there's still a lot of confusion about Jesus. I mean, being there and realizing that on the Temple Mount, it's all Muslim. Oh, they believe in Jesus. Is he the Son of the living God? Not to them. Is he the Anointed One? Uh-uh. Oh, the Jews, they, 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 they believe about Jesus. He was a rabbi. But is he who he claimed he'd be? No. 
Christians, by God's grace, they see it. You see, C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus, and I I love it. I use this a lot. He says, C.S. Lewis says, when we come to the question of who Jesus is, many people want to put their own little spin on it. Oh, he was a good teacher. He was a great prophet. He was a good man. He was this. He was that. Listen, if Jesus isn't God's son, if he isn't the savior of the world, then Jesus is a liar. If he's not who he claimed to be, because he made it very, very clear, the Father and I are one. I'm the great I am. If Jesus isn't who he says he is, I get, we, have three, we have three options about Jesus. One, he's a liar. Two, he's a lunatic. Because people who claim to be God who aren't, David Koresh, Jim Jones, lunatics. Or he's Lord. So I guess the ultimate question for us is, who do you say Jesus is? Let me ask you these questions. Is Jesus Christ the Son of the living God in your life? In your life. Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God in your home? I mean, really, in your home, in your decisions, in the way you live your life and raise your kids? Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God in your workplace? Maybe the question needs to be asked this way. Where is it in your life that Jesus, the Christ, isn't the living Son of God? Where is it in your life? You see, the reality is, if you're here today, and by God's grace, you and I are able to say, Jesus is the Son of God. If we're able to say, Jesus is the promised Messiah, everything in our life should change. Everything in our life should be built on that. Everything in our life should be going through that. The significance of Jesus being the Christ should be all-encompassing. Here's the scary thing as we turn the corner. Just because we know who the Son of Man is, Jesus doesn't, know, doesn't make us know the plan of God. Let's look back at Matthew. Matthew 16, verses 21 through 26. How did Peter feel? How did Peter feel standing up there against those pagan gods? How did he feel being able to stand up above all the twelve and say, I'm going to answer the question, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? How did he feel to have him say, Simon, Peter, man, you are so blessed. Simon, this is it. You didn't get this from God. Simon, you are the man. I'm going to build my church on a profession like that. Simon, this is really, really good. You know, I don't, if I were him and I'm a Peter, I'd be thinking, I got the big head. Look at me, I stood up in the 12, I got it all. Look at me, I'm here with all these pagan worshipers, I get it all. And then here's what we have about Peter in just verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples the plan that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. So cool reading this because I've been to Caiaphas' house. I've seen underneath his house the high priest, the torture chambers. What we believe Jesus was. He says uh, he must suffer by the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. Now remember, now Peter, who says, You're the Son of the living God, you are the Messiah, you are the one. Peter now takes him aside and he begins to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, here comes hero to zero. Here comes some tragedy. 
Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, uh, but on the things of man. I think really for us to understand this context, let's keep reading. And Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his very life? Wow. Talk about a high to a low, huh? Peter, you're it, man. You got it. Peter, you're a hindrance to me. Get behind me, Satan. See, what Peter did is he had his own interest above God's interest. And a few things that we got to realize with this is this. One thing is this. Any plan that got in Jesus' way, any plan that precluded Jesus from dying for our sins and going to the cross, any plan, remember Satan tried to give him a plan and tempt him in the wilderness, remember? You don't have to go through that cross. Any plan, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This plan took place before time began. Anything that was tempting to Jesus to say, don't go and die for their sins was repugnant to him. It was a hindrance to him. It was satanic to him. And what we need to get from this is this. Jesus had such a passion for his passion. The passion of Christ. Giving up his life for sinners like us. He had such a passion to forgive your sins. He was going to let nothing get in the way. It would be demonic to get in the way of that. Jesus came to seek and to save you who were lost. You who needed to be rescued. He came to shed his blood to make us clean and white as snow. He came to give us his righteousness. And nothing was going to get in the way of his plan. Some liberal commentaries want to tell us that Jesus didn't know what he was doing. And didn't know and he died a death on a cross in defeat. Baloney! He knew why he he knew why he came. He came to die. He came to be a sacrifice. He came to defeat sin and death. And anything that gets in the way of that plan is repugnant, satanic, and a hindrance. Now, church of the living God, we should look at this and say, this is Jesus' passion. Do we have it? Do we have a passion for the lost? Do we have a passion to make sure that the story that he came to seek and to save the lost... Do we have a passion to tell it with our lives? And listen, for those of us who know Him as Lord and Savior, that passion led Him to the cross. Nothing was going to get on His way. And again, fall to your knees, cry out amazing love, how sweet the sound that would save a wretch like us. It's amazing. But nothing would get in His way of His passion. And how about Peter? The absolute arrogance of Peter. What does he say? You're the Christ. You're God's son, but let me tell you something, Jesus. Let me pull you over here a little bit and say, your plan is a little messed up. (laughs) I got a plan for you. It does not include dying. I think I'm going to be at your right side. We're going to go and we're going to kick some Roman butt. We're going to go establish an earthly kingdom. Uh, We got a plan that's going to go on here. And no way, Jesus, yes, I say that you're God, but I'm now going to tell God what he needs to do. Can you believe someone that arrogant? You know how often I do that? Yes, Jesus, I believe you're Lord of my life. Yes, Jesus, I believe you forgive my sins. Now, will you just come bless my plans? Jesus, come over here. I got a plan for you, Jesus. Come on, come, come, come over here. 
you know, I got a plan for my family like here. Now, this is what I want in my family, and this is how I want them to, to be grown up, and this is where I want them to go. And this, will you bless my plan for my family? Jesus, come over here. I got a plan for Orangewood. Man, do I got it. It's a great plan. I just want you to come over here, Jesus, and let me tell you what my plan is for Orangewood. Let me c- come over here. I want to tell you, Jesus, I, yes, you're the Lord. Yes, you're God. Yes, you saved my sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus, bow to me. Now, Jesus, bless my plans. I promise to give you glory. I might even put a Jesus license plate on my car. And Jesus says, no way. The arrogance of Peter. Do you see it in your life? Let me be honest. The arrogance of knowing Jesus as Lord, but missing his plan. You see, the plan of God is for two deaths. This is what I know of the plan of God. There's a mystery. I don't know all of it. But I know there's two deaths involved in the plan. The first one is this. Jesus' death for our sins. Nothing was going to get in the way of that plan. Jesus loves his children so much that he wants to forgive us and cleanse us and make us beautiful. And he did it. But there's another death involved, not just his. It's our death. Discipleship in Jesus Christ is our death to our will so that we can truly find life. And listen, nothing should keep us from this pursuit. I want to ask you a question that's going to be hard. I think I know the answer. Do we really believe that we can find life in dying to ourselves and living for Jesus. Do we really believe it? Daily, I'm reminded of this struggle. The fact that I want to proclaim him as Lord and go ahead and live my life the way I want to and just have him try to bless it. Instead of daily saying, I got to get up and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner still and I know I've been cleansed and I know one sacrifice has forever made me perfect and you're making me holy, but I got my own agenda today, Jesus. I got my own agenda, but I got to lay it down. I got to lay it down because, Jesus, it's true that you are Lord and you are God. Every day we need to do that. How is it with you? Is Jesus really, really Lord over your decisions of your household? I mean, are you looking at your schedule and are you looking at the kids' events and you're really saying, you know what? If Jesus is Lord and if he's God's son, he probably has something to say about this. So, so let me... Let me let me not so much have my agenda. Let me ask him about his. Let me ask you about work. I mean, is Jesus really Lord? And I'm not talking about being some obnoxious Christian that's just doing nothing but telling everybody Jesus loves them. I'm talking about being a real ambassador, knowing that God has placed you where he's placed you, at school or at your workplace, for a reason. And do you show up and say, Jesus, I'm here I'm here and I'm running this business, but really it's yours? And really I'm here for your story? I mean, is Jesus really Lord in the workplace? What about questions of life? College decisions, marriage decisions, seek your secrets in life. Is he really Lord? Listen, I think that God brings us to a point that's kind of prickly. He says it's easy to say it. But if you call me the Christ, Jesus says, 
the Son of the living God, you've got to lay your life down. And when you do, you find it. And when you do, you really find meaning. Because trying to hold on to it, you're going to lose it. I think we're afraid. I don't think we believe it. I think we're afraid. It's like, it's like and this is a really kind of a lousy analogy, but I'm going to try it. It's like we're afraid of losing something. You know, like when you're standing in line, you're looking over there, it's, that's a better line to be in. I need to be over there. But I, if, I, if I lose it, I don't want to lose this right here. I mean, at least I know where I'm over. Man, leave that line over there. It's going a lot faster. I want to be over there, but I don't want to lose anything, you know? And I think we're getting that way with Jesus. It's like, okay, I want you to know you as Lord and Savior. Wash my sins away. Give me heaven and give me eternal life. That's great. But, but I'm afraid, Jesus. I'm afraid because if I really lay my life down, will I really find life? Will it really be abundant? Won't I lose something? Won't I lose myself? Won't I lose meaning? Won't I lose things I enjoy? I like some of these things. Jesus, I'm afraid. I really don't believe you. And I think that we, that's the reality of sinners like us. And listen, let's just face it straight on and say, that's our struggle is we don't believe it. We really don't sometimes. If we did, we'd live our lives so radically different, wouldn't we? But Jesus says, I've come. I've come to have, give you life and life abundantly. I've come to make you all you. I've come to be Lord and I've come to be Savior. And if you really want to find life and life abundantly, come to me and say, I kneel before you, Jesus. I'm all yours. Every plan, every, everything is yours. It's yours. We'll find life. That sin of unbelief that keeps us from really believing. We're standing in line saying, I kind of want to be over there. I believe it, but I don't believe it. Please help my unbelief. Christ, the solid rock. I stand. All other ground is sifting sand. May the spirit of the living God fall upon us, those like Peter, who can say, you're the Christ, but say, I got a plan. Humble ourselves and come before him and say, God, have your work with us. Think about what he'll do. I promise you we'll find life. Let's pray. Father, what a passage, what a passage for Peter to hit it completely out of the park. I mean, a tape measure shot saying, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're it. And then to say, nah, we're not going to have you killed. To be called a hindrance. And Satan. Father, I pray for the man, woman, and child here that doesn't know Jesus as Christ, the anointed Messiah, the Son of the living God. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit is so upon their life right now that you would give them the grace that you gave Peter, that today would be the day where they realize that they need a real Messiah named Jesus. They need really someone to pay for their sins. And today would be the day that they would say, I want to build my life on Christ the solid rock. Jesus I believe you are who you said you are. You're not a liar. You're not a lunatic. You're Lord. Come be Lord of my life. Forgive my sins and make me yours. But Father, for the rest of us, by your grace that, that know you, that are standing in line saying, I, kinda, I know there's more, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to lose something. Oh God, because you love your church. God, please come with power into our lives so that we believe the gospel. 
that we believe that we need to come to Jesus and lay our lives down and say, Jesus, it's yours. And we can find our life. We can find ourselves and find our joy. Oh God, have your work with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.